In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I wanted to hear from people who started a personal discipline that was drudgery and succeeded in doing it until it actually became a joy, or at least not complete misery, uh, to showcase to us all that the beginning is the hardest part. You'll hear about exercising, eating healthier, and interesting topics such as finding nice things to say about your spouse. Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, where our focus is increasing your performance in your professional life, drawing straight from the legacy of one of the most inspiring leaders of our age, Zig Ziggler. This is the weekly Q&A episode that I do with my co-host and the CEO of Ziggler, Tom Ziggler. In these Q&A shows, I often play a short clip from Zig Ziggler or I'll take a hot topic and post it to the Ziggler audience and from the responses, we get some of the most poignant and relevant input into the realities of walking out personal and professional development and growth in the real world and current circumstances of life. I invite you to join us in these weekly discussions uh, at Facebook. Find me at Kevin Miller CO. I kick this episode off with a two and a half minute clip from Zig Ziglar, where he discusses the benefits of self-discipline. And from it, I asked the Ziglar audience this question, what is a healthy habit or personal discipline that started as a chore, drudgery, negative, and today is a joy, a pleasure, a positive? And we heard from so many people about disciplines they started in misery, but today they look forward to. For some, it's an actual joy. For others, just something they made peace with, but they really appreciate the payoff now. Tom Ziglar and I talk through a lot of the comments and share some of our own stories. If you want to join these discussions, you can find me on Facebook. My personal page is Agent K, as in Kevin Miller, Agent K Miller. Business page is Kevin Miller CO. Uh, coming up, I'll play the clip from Zig for you, and then Tom and I will get into your comments. Folks, you don't pay the price for good health. You enjoy the benefits of good health. You don't pay the price for success. You pay the price for failure. You enjoy the benefits of success. You don't pay the price for a good marriage. You enjoy the benefits of a good marriage. You pay the price for a bad one. Now, what am I saying? When we look at it in that light, when we discipline ourselves to keep on doing it, the day's going to come when instead of it being a chore, it literally gets to be fun. I believe that you can make almost any job fun to do. I really believe that. Up in North Carolina, there is a chicken plucking plant that uses the attitude uh, session of what we're talking about. How many have ever been in a chicken plucking plant? Can I see your hand? Well, as a youngster, I was a butcher. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that when you pull the feathers off of one chicken and when you uh, clean all those chickens out, I'm telling you, the inside of one chicken looks dead like the inside of all other chickens. When you've seen one, you've seen them all. Now, can you imagine? Here's a group of people who are, uh, you know, they're cleaning those chickens at minimum wage in virtually every case. And they started talking and developing those people who were cleaning those chickens. Now get that picture. And they started giving them ear sets and motivational recordings and they started listening. And they said what would happen was they'd be listening along and, and then I'd put a funny on them, you know, and they would just laugh and then, man, they'd go back to cleaning those chickens. Productivity went up substantially. Turnover reduced substantially. Profits increased substantially. What am I saying? 
Everybody is subject to getting excited when they're having some fun, when we're taking an interest in them, and when we're developing that interest. We've gotten business from people because the owner of that plant went all over that part of North Carolina, and he was speaking at lines and rotaries and telling them what his hourly workers were doing. See, so many times we think, well, now that person's not interested in that kind of stuff. Oh, you can't motivate that person. Hey, let me tell you something. When people have fun doing what they're doing, they're going to do a better job. Well, Tom, as your dad, Zig, is telling the story about self-discipline, that's where it came up to me of, of those things that we do that we feel like, oh, I got to, you know, muscle down and, and exert my willpower and have self-discipline and do this thing, this chore. Uh, and then how often, if we will do it enough, and we talk about the different timelines on, you know, how long does it take to build a habit, but even beyond that, just I, the, the reality is so often, if we'll stick with it, we will actually, it becomes not a chore, not drudgery. And we actually find joy in that. And I've experienced that a few times in my life, but I I thought obviously it would be relevant that you witnessed that with your dad. Dad, he tells about it and I don't, I can't remember what book or what audio, but when he was found himself pretty out of shape and he started running and of course amongst Ziggler now, we all know the BAM method. So uh, explain that or tell the story. Yeah, so when dad first uh, got in shape, he got all checked out. The doctor said, go do it. So he was cleared to start jogging. And the first day, he ran a block. And then the second day, he ran a block and a mailbox. So he extended his journey by one more mailbox, which in the neighborhood we lived in, uh, that was probably an extra 50 yards. I was going to say, it's not very far. No, not a lot. And then the third day, he ran a block and two mailboxes. So block and a mailbox stands for BAM. And so all he did is over the months is he just kept increasing his distance about a mailbox. Yeah. Until he ran two blocks and then three blocks and then a half a mile and then a mile and then so on. And then the interesting thing is, is he didn't like it. He was doing it for a higher purpose. He knew he needed to. Uh, have the energy and the clarity and the ability to take his message out to impact lives. But the actual working out thing, that didn't get his juices flowing. And then he talks about it, and I believe uh, it's in the book. I can't remember which book it's in. Uh, I know he talked about it in many, many speeches. But several years later, he was running, I think, in Eugene, Oregon, or one of the college campuses up in either Oregon or Washington. And He was, you know, in his run, probably about 25 minutes. And he's looking around and it's beautiful and it's 75 degrees and there's college kids hanging out on the lawn of the college. You know, the birds are singing. It's beautiful scenery. And he realized that he loved it. Yeah. That he actually appreciated it. And this is where I think this is where his quote uh, came from, which is, uh, you don't pay the price for success. You pay the price for failure. You enjoy the benefits of success. And his point was, is that when we have a purpose, a why, a reason, like our health or our family or something we want to accomplish in the business world or whatever, 
when that's our driving factor and we look at the things we have to do in order to get there, it's okay if we don't like all those things. Yeah. Right. It's okay if, you know, being detail oriented for an hour a week around planning our schedule is not what we love to do. It's okay because it allows us to, to get to what we love to do. Yeah. And then there's another quote uh, that he used to say, if you do the things you need to do when you need to do them, eventually the day will come when you're able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And it's that idea of laying the foundation, delayed gratification. But something interesting happens, and this happened to me. Uh, I, like most young people, uh, my goal was to see how late I could get out of bed and still get to work on time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know you're not that way, Kevin. You've yeah, always I've been. Always been perfection with that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody's that way. Yeah. And then finally, the messaging started to sink in, and they said, "You know, why don't you, why don't you get up just a little bit earlier, and you plan the day first, and then go to work." Well, I, I didn't like it, but I just kept doing it. And then one day, something happened. I didn't have my time in the morning, and the day just fell off the rest of the day. And that's when I really realized, wait a second, even though I didn't understand or appreciate or like that activity, it brought so much peace of mind and value to everything else I was doing. So now it's kind of like, this is what I got to do. Yeah. And that 15 minute of extra prep time is now turned into, you know, anywhere from an hour at the minimum up to two to three hours. Uh, so much so that even when I'm on the road or wherever different time zones, I would rather sleep a little bit less and make sure that I get that, that hour in that, that runs my day. Yeah. Well, and there's the, there's the point of, you know, even that, I mean, do you, do you literally like waking up early? I, I, I have, I can't have to think about that. I don't know that I like waking up early, but I like the reward of that, the benefit of that, uh, for sure. Well, so you start off with the story about your dad running And that's the first grouping I have here. Kayla Marie, she says, getting up extra early to work out. I love the peace of the morning. Now, Savannah Clevenger running. Uh, It probably took me about a year to go from, ugh, I have to run to feeling like I can't wait or almost or or almost need to run. Uh, Shelly Black walking the dogs with my husband. It may not be uh, as much for my dogs as it is just for me to get out, feel the fresh air. Judy Hicks says uh, yoga for her. Thomas Alinsky here, training for a triathlon. He says, it's all I seem to think about all day, every day. The triathlon community is the most supportive I've ever seen. And I don't think Thomas would mind. Well, he posted this publicly. And if you go to his page, you'll see that Tom- Thomas is in the process of getting in shape. So don't think of him as one of these triathlon nuts. He's somebody who has not been in shape and he's looking at that. He's now inspired by it. And Tom, I had the experience uh, as of this recording about six months ago. It's maybe it's about, ah, that's about, it was the fall of 2020. And I have, we have all of our kids run. It's just kind of what we do as a family. Everybody, everybody runs, or you're going to do some kind of a sport now. We didn't always do that, but we do. And uh, so I've got a son, Canyon is his name. 
and he did not want to run. He really does not like running. And he, but I said, you got to do something, dude. What is it going to be? So he finally decides, okay, I'll run. And he joins his brother, one year older brother, and they are on the high school running team, uh, cross country team. And uh, he says, I'll just do that since, you know, Ian's going anyway. So I'll just go with him. So he does that. And his first run, it's a 5K, guys. So his first run is 37 minutes. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. 37 minutes is not a really fast 5K time, especially for a young kid. Now, if you're, you know, 50 and out of shape, uh, that may be great to just to run that. But for a, a kid who's in, in shape, uh, he, he wasn't out of shape. He's in shape. He's, you know, he's fit and trim. I asked him, I said, dude, did you even run? Uh, did you crawl? How, how do you, how you, we couldn't even go. This is during COVID. So we couldn't even go. So I wasn't there, but he said, dad, I just don't have the will to do it. He's very gracious with, it. he said, I just don't have the will to do it. And Ian, his older brother saying, yeah, man, he's not connecting with the kids either. Cause we've always viewed it as a great thing for them socially, that group. He says he's not connecting to him. So he doesn't run for like uh, three weeks or something like that. Uh, doesn't race because they had to segment the groups. You know, only so many could go because of COVID and, and all the restrictions there. So three weeks later or so ish, he goes and that 37, I think it came down to 27 minutes. I'm like, man, what, what happened? He says, I don't, I don't know. I just felt better. And my and Ian says, yeah, he's, he's talking with some of the kids now, interacting a little bit. Last run of the season. So another three or four weeks down the road. He, he, and again, he, he only ran three times because that's, that's, they, did, they weren't allowed to go to a lot of the meets and he was low man on the totem pole, whatever. He goes to the last one. Meanwhile, his brother Ian is doing well and has been increasing every time and is looking for a PR and they're both in the race. So his brother Ian gets his PR. It's like 22. He went, he wanted to go under 23, 22 minutes. And, uh, I don't know, 55 seconds, something like that. Canyon runs a 2302 or something like that, like seven seconds behind his brother who's been doing well, but his progression, I said, what happened? He says, I, I just, it's just not so bad. And he's found friends there and he's, you know, now it's months later and he's, he's connected with those friends. And it, I was so grateful for that if he never runs again, he experienced that. He experienced progression. He experienced something going from misery to, I don't know if he would say it's fun, but you know, it's okay. And now he's ready to run track and they're running. He doesn't, he's still, when I say, okay, guys, come on, let's go for a run. He's like, ah, oh, rolls his eyes and stuff, but he come out. And once they get out there, then he pushes it. I went on a run with him the other day and he pushed me. I about couldn't stay up with him. And he actually said he overdid it. And I was just so proud of him. Why? He could have just shuffled along, but, uh, again, that personal feeling of taking something and it being drudgery. Now I say that, and we've had people on the show, Tom, we've had, you know, authors on the show that have done great things. And, uh, there's been a handful of them. I know Ruth Sukup was one of them. Uh, it's her book is, uh, I think it's uh, do it scared. And she talked about that with exercise. She says, you know what? I do it. I know I need to do it. I hate it. So every day, I never liked it. I don't think I ever will, but I hired a personal trainer because I know I need to do it and you know I, I'm going to do it anyways. Obviously, she appreciates the benefit or she wouldn't do that, but the, the act in and of itself, she says, I still don't enjoy that. So to put that out there that, yeah, just as you said and your dad says, it doesn't mean that everything that we do that we feel would be good for us and is a chore and is drudgery day one, we're going to come to the point of loving it. Maybe we won't, but hopefully, like you talked about with the mornings, we'll love the payoff that I feel better. I look better. Yada, yada, at least with, at least with exercise. 
You know, your son learned the uh, Zig lesson of logic will not change an emotion, but action will. Uh. So you can sit, you can sit there and, and try to think yourself into, man, I'm going to love this. This, this run's going to be awesome. And it's, it's really not going to change your emotional state, but you get into the action of it and the, the, the blood starts flowing uh, you know, the, the grounds under your feet and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this isn't so bad. And so that's, that's a testimony to anything in life because, you know, uh, dad said this, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. And in the book, the fixed mindset or growth mindset, um, by, was it Carol Dweck? Oh, Dweck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she talked about how, um, some people say in order to do something, I have to be perfect. Right. And if I'm not good at it, then I'm not meant to do it. I can't learn it. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Other people, they have a growth mindset and it's just about, well, can I get a little bit, can I do it a little bit better? Yeah. And so if we learn to, to motivate ourselves and to give ourselves the pat on the back by doing it just a little bit better every time we do it, to where we start looking at trends and directions, that's when life change happens anyway. I've been around a long time not to have heard that line. Logic won't change an emotion, but an action will. If that's a Ziegler line, I, I missed that for a long time now. I, I love the quote. You can't, you can't thank yourself into something. You got to yeah. go do it. Yeah. Right. You well, got, you got to go do it. And, and it goes back to, you know, the rabbi Lappin quote where he said that the, the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose. And so what people get hung up on is they think that happiness is a feeling. Well, I need to feel happy if I'm going to do that. Well, I'm not happy about that. No, that's, that's, that's not what it's about. We've been sold to lie. That's something we need to get rid of. What we need to, what we need to understand is that happiness is really the byproduct of pursuing our purpose. Yeah. So if I know what my purpose is, my big why, where I'm going, and I, I create the action steps to get there, when I start doing those action steps, whether I like them or not, whether it's natural or not, whether it's easy or hard, it doesn't really matter. If I start seeing that progression towards my goal, then we get that little hit of happiness, right? Yeah. And so that's where that's where we need to get focused in on is happiness is not a feeling. It's It's not taking a drink or doing that drug or binging on Netflix, because that's a downward spiral. It's about moving closer to what it is that we, we see as valuable. Yes. Yes. Values. So my favorite word there. You are listening to the Ziegler show and this episode on difficult disciplines becoming not so difficult. Next, we hear from Marianne Schutz, who initially struggled with planning her daily healthy meals and cites it's now part of her miracle morning. So we'll get right back to it after I share some great products and services with you. Well, here, let me read this because you made me uh, think of something. Marianne Schutz, she says, uh, planning my daily meals. I dreaded having to get up earlier and taking 20 minutes every morning to plan what I will eat that day. Uh, She puts it into an app. Uh, I monitor my protein, et cetera, but now I see the health benefits and I look forward to that time. I've added this to my miracle morning, uh, miracle morning that was written by Hal, Hal Elrod. And I didn't think to get the episode. If you type in Hal Elrod, the Ziegler show, you'll find 
find that. But that book is a phenomenon book as far as the, the sales and the reach that it's had. And my wife read it and I'll tell you, you know, everybody, there's lots of good books out there. You don't always resonate with, you know, the voice or the perspective or whatever. It wasn't her favorite book. But she got something out of it, and it was Hal talking about the alarm clock and putting it on snooze. He says, just put it in a different part of the room. So she did. She got that out of it. She started putting her alarm clock in the bathroom. So uh, in the morning, whatever time, it goes off. She has to get up. And she is a rock star today. She has gone from a lifetime of not being a morning person. Uh, I mean, really not being a morning person. And that alarm goes off. I think a lot of times it's like 6.30 or 7 these days. goes off. She gets up, goes into the bathroom, turns it off. And there was a time when she would do that, then get back in bed. But she would go. Now she gets up. She goes in there. She shuts the door. She turns it off and, uh, and gets ready and goes to her gym class. Uh, that she signed up for and COVID's helped that. I talked about this probably in the true life show recently or true life podcast. And she talked uh, uh, about the accountability of COVID's helped that because now you have to sign up for the show or, or for the, for the, uh, for the class. And if you do, you know, it's a limited class. And so some people aren't getting in. So if you signed up, if you don't show up, you took somebody's spot and now you're not there. So she feels that accountability, but action back to what you said, Tom, she's, she took action. Logic, uh, did not help her change the emotion of, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go work out, but action did. And she put some parameters around that, some structure, uh, and it's helping her. And, and a lot of people talked about food here, Tom, uh, Michelle, she said eating salads. I started enjoying eating healthier. As I noticed, I felt better and some healthy foods like salad with fresh fruit, a good dressing and some nuts and other toppings actually taste good. Yes, they do. We can elevate our appetites. Um, Joy Reagan, eating veggies, uh, Katarzyna, honoring my body by sticking to a healthy for me diet. Renee Bosworth talks about intermittent fasting. She, uh, she says at the beginning, it was a big adjustment. I almost quit a few times, but now it's easy and I'm able to not only stay at a healthy weight without effort, but have much better mental clarity. I've lost 50 pounds and been at my goal weight uh, for a year now and yada, yada. So we had a lot of people talk about eating and that is one is you and I were talking for before the show, you know, we are so driven by our appetites. I am too. Uh, but we can, and, and Randy and I, Dr. Randy James, our doctor talked about that. We, we are going to be driven by our appetites. I don't, I think we get that feeling of, Hey, I'm going to be healthy. I just got to shut my appetites off and, and not appease my taste buds anymore. Well, it's about inhuman, especially as Americans. We want to, it's hard not to, but we can take that and elevate that. You know, you get any food and you can elevate that a little bit. I am trying, I'm taking a coffee break. So I'm fasting from coffee. I'm learning to enjoy tea and I'm, I'm actually adding cream. I have, I, all I drink is black coffee, but I'm adding cream to my coffee to help, uh, grow a palate for it. Uh, and I'll wean myself off of it till I just like it plain, but right now I'm enjoying that. So, you know, I'm, I'm elevating my appetite to help achieve something right there. And I think that's what we can do. And we see people who look at vegetables and all that healthy food. If you think healthy food is bland one, it's because you've poisoned your taste buds with too much sugar, too much junk in there, but man, you can make food. You've probably had somebody who made healthy food and they focused on the healthy part, not the tasty part. Uh, because as uh, Tom Ziegler well knows, you can make healthy food taste really, really good. That's right. Homemade hot sauce, baby. I know. I got pictures of you on the on my grill of you making the homemade hot sauce. <laughs> I miss that. Uh, you know, another one in here along with that was water. I was surprised to see that. We had multiple people talk about water. And I 
honed in that because let's see, it was on the, on my motive podcast. I had, um, uh, Kara golden. She's the founder of hint water flavored water. And that's her focus is getting people off of sugary sodas, especially and drinking water. But she realized that too. She changed her life. She was addicted to soda, something like 15 sodas a day. She's addicted to, and she stopped it. And she was having all these health problems, stopped it and started just plain water and really did a big turnaround, massive turnaround uh, in her health. But also realized plain water is boring. Now, if you're out there and you really like plain water, God bless you. But it's, it's, it's boring. Um, I recently, my kids for Christmas got us a soda stream so we can take our just regular water, put it under there, it fizzes it up and we'll add, I'll add lime to it. Um, man, I, I so appreciate that. I drink that because yeah, plain water is kind of boring, but a lot of people, Jennifer Meisel, she says after Thanksgiving, I made a vow to drink at least 64 ounces of water a day. I hate drinking plain water, no sweeteners, no flavors, nothing, but my body actually craves it. Now I've noticed my skin has improved and it's only been two months. Um, Barbara Rubio, she says drinking water. I even had to download an app to remind me to drink and keep track of how many glasses of water uh, that I drink. I used to say I must have been a camel in a past life because I could go for weeks without drinking even one glass of water. But once I built a habit, it became a source of happiness. Now water is life for me. Sharon her drinking a glass of water, eight, 10 and three, uh, between meals every day. I start with, started with my first pregnancy 45 years ago and have kept it up. So yeah, there's one too. I mean, who, who wants to drink water when you got soda and tea and coffee and whatever, but, uh, you know, we're kind of made up of water. Pretty important. Water's good. I remember uh, my progression on moving from drinking my calories to eating my calories. Uh, I was raised on sweet tea. Oh, and you're from Texas, of course. I'm from Texas, and, and uh, mom and dad from Mississippi. So sweet tea was, you know, you, you get the big pot of tea out, and then you pour, I don't know, it felt like a whole bag, big, big, you know, giant bag of sugar into <laughs> it. And, and the kind of stuff when we were kids, you know, we'd take the tea outside and you'd spill it. And five minutes later, there'd be a thousand ants all over that. Yeah. Right. Because of that. Uh, so I moved to uh, sweet and low, you know, which is just fantastic for your health. I mean, exactly. the more chemicals you can put in, the better that is. Yeah. But that's what I drank. And then when I decided, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I decided to drink unsweetened tea. Oh, my goodness. You better get kicked me, out of Texas for that. Let me just tell you something. Uh, for three weeks, that was the nastiest stuff I put in my mouth. <laughs> and then the next three weeks, it was kind of like, okay. And now, if I accidentally either drink sweetened tea with sugar or artificially sweetened tea, my taste buds revolt. Yep. They just do. And and when you when you do that, I mean, this is just, it's just proof that you can change your taste buds. You can condition yourself. And that what what you do regularly is what your body expects, and your body likes to get what it expects. Yep. Yeah. Hey, that was my uh my experience with coffee, Tom, I, I did not grow up in a coffee drinking family. I, I never had it. And then at 19, I moved to Holland, uh, racing for a team out there and, uh, actually got some work at, while we were over there at one point or, or later after the season. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, man, everybody goes to the coffee break, everybody. So we just followed in line and their coffee there at that time was like espresso with a lot of cream, a lot of sugar. It was, it was just a scant 
bit away from just hot chocolate. And that's how I learned to drink it. So I come back to the States and I got involved with the coffee company. They were sponsored a bike team and the flavored coffees and we'd put stuff in it. But then I do a 30 day hardcore sugar fast, nothing. So took it out of my coffee. Well, after 30 days of drinking it black, I, I, I loved it. I didn't want it the other way. Well, I'm doing the same thing with tea now because, you know, Randy's been on me. He's a tea snob and I just don't like tea. I, I tried. It just is bland compared to coffee. I don't like tea. Well, now I'm, I don't know, I'm over two weeks now. Of, and I've had coffee a couple times, but I'm just out of the habit of, uh, of doing it. And most of my days, I, I don't. I think I've had coffee probably three times. I've had a little coffee in the midst. So it's not a diehard thing, but I'm just trying to get out of the habit. Doing tea, putting some cream into it, and I'm starting. I've already. I'm. I'm fine at two weeks in. I'm kind of like after. As soon as we're done here, I'll go get put a little cream in and do a little tea. And I'm. In, I'm doing different ones, and I'm kind of finding myself getting used to that taste. I don't even know if I like it. I'm just getting used to the taste of tea, and I guarantee you, give me a couple more weeks, I'll wean off the the cream. And now I want to get to where I actually like his frou frou. Not frou-frou, but his snobby tea. He does the loose leaf, you know, stuff that looks all fancy and yeah, stuff. I'll get there. Uh, self-care. We, we had a lot of people, a lot of miscellaneous stuff around there, but some that I really appreciated. This one is neat. Lynn Gilden. She says, January 1st of this year, we're only on the 19th. I started writing something positive every day about my husband in a journal. It sounds so elementary, but we've been married 13 years. We have three kids. We also work together. We love each other, but sometimes we don't like each other. This practice has forced me to look at the positives and it has truly opened my eyes to all the great qualities he has. I think that wins. I love it. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like the uh, Shanti Fieldhelm yeah. 30 day, 30 day kindness challenge. Yep. Yeah. Which is powerful, life changing, powerful life change. Yeah. Uh, Terry Johnson here. He says my gratitude regime every morning for the last three years, I filled out a personalized and printed morning routine booklet. Uh, the first part is three things I'm grateful for. It was hard to think about three things at the start, let alone doing, uh, continuing to do it. But now I cannot start my day without doing it. That small act of being and noting gratitude reframes my entire outlook on life. One entry from this morning was grateful for our city of Sydney. He's from Australia of city. My wife and I had a midweek date getaway. We spent the day at the Harbor, uh, and at the beach had a wonderful dinner and a night on a, at a nice hotel. How lucky at least 10 things to be grateful for right there. Uh, it reminds me there's a book, Tom, and I'm, it's something like called the 10,000, 10,000 things I'm thankful for. Uh, a, a lady wrote it. I cannot remember her name. Uh, Christian lady wrote it. real popular. My, my wife had it and I saw it just recently. But that was it. It was, you know, writing or maybe it was a thousand things, a thousand, ten thousand, something like things that you're grateful for. But just we hear that. I hear it more and more these days. The act back to your thing of taking action that can my can I just logically say, hey, Kevin, you should be grateful. I think we do that a lot. We should on ourselves about being grateful. How can I not be grateful with all the things that I have? And we sit back and we really just get down on ourselves and feel guilty. There's no reason I should be feeling negative and critical about things. I should. Well, that's logic. And you're saying, as you did a minute ago, taking action is what changes. And so that's, this is, we got people citing taking action. So to force yourself with pen and paper or fingers on keyboard to actually think through and write down those things 
uh, I'm going to say this and hope my wife doesn't hear, uh, because I was, I was inspired. Actually, the last person that did inspire me to, it was John O'Leary. Last time I had him on the show and he talked about, he has a journal and that every day he's going to write something positive about his wife. And so he'll, he'll write it out. It's like, he's writing a letter to her and he'll say, okay, I can't remember what her name is, but you know, today, whatever her name is, you did X. And he says, then he just waits for it. And I love that the perspective that he writes that and then his perspective towards his wife is I'm waiting for you to do something good. It's and what's a self-fulfilled prophecy say it's going to happen. If you're waiting for something good to happen, something good's going to happen. If you're waiting for something bad to happen, something bad's going to happen. And so he's sitting here waiting for something good to happen. And sure enough, and he writes it down. And I think he did that for so long and then gave that to her. Uh, I'm doing a similar thing right now as well. That's awesome. I know that neuroscience says that uh, most people's brains are wired to protect us. And so we're constantly scanning for danger, for things that could hurt us, uh, for the negative that if we don't pay attention to could have a consequence. And so when you do a gratitude journal or you do, you know, I'm looking for gratitude in a specific area, uh, after about, everybody's a little different. It, It could be a month, it could be two months. I like to go for 66 days because of one of the studies I read. But once you start actively seeking things that you're grateful for, for a certain period of time, your mind automatically focuses on things to be thankful for. Yeah. So that saying is the more you're thankful for, the more you'll have to be thankful for is true because your mind starts going down that path, starts seeking that. Yeah. Uh, and I have to do that. I mean, I, I think of myself as positive and grateful and yet, man, can I get into thinking about just, just things I'm sad about or disappointed about or whatnot. And uh, I need to take, need to take action. So I've been working on that as well. It's a primary point of my own journaling. Uh, Kirk Billiter here, he says, last year I began a self-care journey that turned into a discipline and a habit. After experiencing a lot of trauma, I sought help from a therapist and I began what is now a consistent morning routine. First 90 minutes of my day, I make my bed. When I get up, I get coffee. I read several devotions, read my Bible, pray and journal. Then I walk for 30 minutes. Uh, I listen to personal development podcasts while walking. It has greatly improved my mental, spiritual, physical health this last year. A a lot of testimonials about the morning. Of course, we talk about it so much. We hear about it so often from our guests in the Habits Show about how uh, how much value they put on that morning routine. But there was a lot of miscellaneous things in here too. Uh, Jen Underwood, she says, having my dishes fully done and my sink clean before I go to bed every single night. She has that in caps. Now my mornings are awesome because I don't start off, start out feeling behind. It's kind of like that. uh, Who's the guy who wrote the book recently? It, It wasn't just called Make Your Bed. And it was about, um, can't remember the guy. He's like a military dude. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. his name, but yeah. But about that, about what, so here it is. And, it's, and I laughed at that one because my wife, I used to do that. Oh, the dishes, man, at night. I'm somebody who likes to do things and then there's a mess. And I just, I, I just did the thing. I just made the big effort. I'm not cleaning up the mess now. I'll leave it and I walk away. And I do that in my own life where I can. Like my barn, when I create something, it's a mess, I walk away. And then I come back and I have to clean it up later. Some people don't like that. You know, it works for me. But I used to do that with dishes. Man, my wife does not like waking up to dirty dishes. And so we changed that habit. Uh, Of course, now the blessing is I don't ever do dishes. I got kids. 
They got a chore list. They do the dishes, but they're done every night. We always wake up at the clean dishes. You've got highly skilled, unpaid labor. I do. Slave labor. Yep. It's a sweatshop at my house, man. Uh, uh, Christine Apple, she says, reading the Bible through in a year. I knew I would have to work at it a few years ago when I started, but now I look forward to it and spend more time uh, and going deeper as I study. Each day I learn more from God and apply it uh, to my life. Brandon Russell, solitude and being comfortable by myself, extremely hard in the beginning when learning it and understanding the benefit, but now something I value very much. Man, I don't know how many times I've talked about this. I just love it because it's so old and so relevant. Blaise Pascal back in the, when was he? 1600s, 1800s? I don't know. And he said, you know, at that time, I mean, that's what blows me away. What? You're asking me all these hard questions. Who <laughs> wrote that? I, the I need you to have a thesaurus up. Uh, <laughs> um, so Blaze, and so he's, uh, but he says, you know, when, when a man's, uh, gosh, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, one of the greatest tragedies of man is the inability to sit alone in a room for 15 minutes, just to be at peace, just to be with your. I like like that. What Brandon said, being comfortable by myself. I think that's why we tend to not take that quiet time to not meditate, to not sit still is because we are there just then alone. It's us and our thoughts. And as you, as you know, most of our thoughts are negative. I know. I just put Siri on so she could help with these questions. (laughs) That's what we should do. We should have a session. We should just keep Siri. That's our third (laughs) co-host. I know. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, being quiet, take time to be quiet, take time to be still. Uh, that's why I love the two chairs routine by, with the Bob Bodine. Yeah. You know, you, you just, you ask the big questions and then you wait to hear the answer. That's a hard for people to do. That is very hard. It's hard for me as well, but I've gotten to value. Again, that's one of the value that time to just be alone. Tina Cook says, doing nice things for my future self, which I appreciated. We had, uh, actually it was on my motive podcast. I had, uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who I talk about. I've had him on this show twice, once for his book, willpower doesn't work. And the last one was personality isn't perfect. Uh, and he's writing a book now called, I think it's called becoming your future self now. Uh, but so she said, doing nice things for my future self. I've always been one to just barely stay on top of things, kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I've been working on being more prepared and working ahead for both small and large things. And it's made my life a lot more peaceful after reaping the rewards of this for a while. I am more motivated and finding it easier. Now it's less of a bother because of the joy it brings me. That's a good encapsulation of our point here. Um, this is neat, Tom. Jessica, Peer, uh, Jessica Grimmer. She said two minutes. She has two minutes, exclamation point. No matter how tired I am, I spend two minutes in each child's bed before they fall asleep. We cuddle. We talk about Christ. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's amazing how much you can find out about your child in two, minute, in two minutes of dedicated attention. That speaks to me, Tom. I have, as you know, a lot of kids. It's hard. I, I'm, I realize how how seldom I take one-on-one time with them. Now we do a lot together and I'll talk even one on, you know, directly to one amongst the others, but to just be one-on-one is hard. You know, one, two, I've been a parent for a long time. I've been a parent for 26 years now and I still have an eight-year-old at home. And I am aware that 
I've tired a little bit of things like the bedtime. That's, there's an admission. I'm supposed to be the you know, best father ever, right? And I just adore that. Man, I've been doing bedtime for 26 years. And uh, uh, sometimes it's not, I'm not always thrilled about it. But I take action and I have gratitude when I'm reading that book to my little girl and she's smiling and talking about it. I am so grateful. But I get that. You know, I, I have to take action because my logic, as Tom Ziegler said, does not always change my emotion in the direction I want it to be. Um, David Treese, learning how to work as a kid. I used to have to hold the hose pipe and help. He has in quotes while my dad washed our cars. I was probably four or five years old then. There were other little jobs like that also that at the time I didn't enjoy. But now I have been self-employed for two years and four months. I don't think I would have had the perseverance to get up and make it in my business uh, if I had not received that discipline early in life. Now, I like that. Speaking of parenting, man, you parents out there, one of the things I am most grateful for, and I'm sure you've got your story, Tom, but one of the things I am most grateful for is the hard work. I wasn't always happy towards my dad about it, but the hard work he had me do because it taught me work ethic and it taught me to deal with overwhelming tasks. So grateful he, he did that. And I, of course, work today to instill that in my own kids. Uh, and it's hard to do. You, want, you don't want to have that conflict sometimes. Man, it's, uh, it's powerful to work. Well, Tom, I mean, we go on and on here, but this aspect of looking at those things, you know, I think if we had, if we could impart faith, if I could impart faith to people to take that thing that you believe would benefit you, whatever it is, would it benefit you to get up early if that's it, to exercise, to eat healthier foods, to have that morning routine, to practice gratitude, to clean the dishes, whatever it is that seems like drudgery, just having faith that after a while it will get better. You will find the joy and the benefit of it. If not, as you talked about with your dad, actual joy in doing that task that it actually brings you benefit. And I do see that with exercise, especially a lot exercise and food. Those are good muses to where somebody goes from, you know, X it's drudgery to, Oh my gosh, they, they, they want to do, they find joy in the actual action that they had to force themselves to take action on at some point, as you said. hundred percent. I, I know for me that as I get a little grayer and a little bit more experience, uh, not only do those things that used to be kind of a chore now become a treat, uh, but I also have that little bit of experience to say, you know what, when I exercise, it's going to be before lunch. Yeah. Right. Because I know me. And so we all have to have that real conversation with ourselves and say, okay, I know me. How do I set myself up for the, for the, for the win? And so taking that little bit of energy to get up a little bit earlier or to uh, do that key project in the, in the prime time zone of the day, if you have that flexibility, those are the little things that make a difference. Uh, the phrase that I'm taking is the two minutes with each of my kids. I mean, how many, how many times a day can two minutes literally change the day? Yeah. That's yeah. a power. That's just a powerful, a powerful concept to me. It, it is. Uh, and John Eldridge, you know, John, the uh, author of Wild at Heart, and uh, he runs Ransomed Heart. 
they came out maybe last year with an app. I want to say it's called the Pause app. And it was on kind of a meditative time, but their initial focus is just a minute, one minute. You know, and the app alerts you on your phone. It's just, just take one minute. And the benefit of that over time of not, you know, as opposed to doing nothing, it's kind of like your dad with, you know, going from being sedentary out of shape to just, just a block, one block, and then just a mailbox. I mean, the mailbox, it's right there. You can throw a stone and hit it just that much further, just a little bit. And those daily deposits and how they build up. I am the older, grayer I get, Tom, the more enamored and impressed and hopeful I am about the benefit of those little daily deposits. I, I think I, by nature came into life with, with big things, you know, big, I don't want to, I don't want baby steps. I want to hurt, you know, big jumps. And I still do that sometimes. It still excites me sometimes to do that. But over the long haul, kind of like you talking about what gets the most publicity, hurricanes and tornadoes, what does the most damage termites that what does the, the, the biggest benefit is the big commitment, the big, the big challenge, the big goal. Um, man, I dig those. They, they inspire me, but what do I get the most benefit? Man, it's little deposits. So there we go. Two minutes. Maybe that's the title of this, this show here. Two minutes. Two, min- two minutes. I like it. Man, I'm grateful for more than two minutes with you, Tom. Thanks, brother. You got it. Another great show with the greatest host in all the land, Kevin Mill. I'll take it. This episode should have you feeling confirmed about some of the disciplines that you've turned from misery to joy, or at least to peace, but maybe also motivated to go after some hard disciplines you struggled with or even put off. With faith, you will get past the initial hardship. Coming up in episode 859, I wanted to get a pulse on small business in a new year and nearing a year of COVID-19, which caused so much upheaval in the business world. So I brought Dan Miller on the show to shed light on what is working in small biz and what is not. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.